The church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. Good morning, church. You know, the book of Proverbs, according to Dr. Tim Keller, provides wisdom for the 80% of life situations in which there is not a clear moral instruction to guide us. What does he mean by that? Well, if you're tempted to take revenge on somebody because they've wronged you, or if you're tempted to steal from your company or to take advantage of somebody who's in a weak position or to cheat on your spouse, there are very clear moral guidelines in the Scriptures, in the Old and New Testaments, about what to do in those situations. But most of the situations that you all email me about, that you're asking for feedback and prayer and wisdom, are not primarily moral questions. For instance, the Bible does does not tell you if you should get married or who you should marry. It doesn't tell you whether or not you should go back to school to change careers or not, if you should buy this house with the great backyard or this house with the renovated kitchen. It doesn't tell you whether or not you should change doctors, whether you should apply for a trade as you're growing out of high school or go to college. It doesn't even tell you if you should get tacos or barbecue on Tuesday night. Now, if you need guidance on that, Sharon Blair will be real clear. You need to make it taco Tuesday night. The Bible doesn't address a lot of the questions that you and I wrestle with, does it? And so that's about 80% of life, according to Dr. Tim Keller. And what he's saying is that the wisdom literature of the Bible, the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job, is this collection of generations of wisdom in Israel from people who loved God, that were trying to follow God's moral laws of right and wrong. And they're telling us, look, if you'll live in this pattern, God will give you the the kind of pathway for the best life possible. Now, that's a strong statement, and I know the title of this series is The Best Year Ever. But Dr. Tim Mackey has a clarifying kind of stop on that. I love his work, Dr. Tim Mackey. He says, Proverbs are not promises. They're probabilities. If you live with the fear of the Lord leading to wisdom, life will be better for you. But there are exceptions to this general rule. So, for instance, if you read the Proverbs about financial management, there's a lot of them in there. We're going to talk about it later this month. There's this kind of pattern that you find across all these Proverbs about how if you work hard and save time and like over time, you'll be prepared when catastrophe comes. Well, that's true. But one of the other wisdom literature books is the book of Job, who was a good man who took care of his large family and was wealthy and lost it all. The Proverbs are not promises, they're about probabilities. And we kind of lean our life into those probabilities by seeking this concept of chokmah. Last week we talked about wisdom according to the Hebrew mind is obtaining knowledge and applying it skillfully according to God's laws. And the first step in getting that kind of wisdom is an internal perspective shift. And we see it in Proverbs 1 verse 7. It says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge." but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And what the writer is saying here, it's important to note, the fear of the Lord does not mean that we live in this petrified state of anxiety or being terrified of God. That's not it. The fear of the Lord in the Hebrew mind meant a perspective of reverential awe as we live in God's world and seek to follow God's laws. So it's not a feeling of, but rather, wow. God is the creator and made this world and gave me life. 
and I can live within it, I want to make decisions that honor the one who created me. That's an internal first step. Well, today in chapter 9, we hear about the first external step that you could take. And I believe if you put this into practice in 2024, you will be in a better place in many areas of your life this time next year than you are today. It's in Proverbs 9 that we're looking. And if you've been reading along with us, you're now on day 14 and chapter 14 of Proverbs. You've probably picked up that even though this is a collection of wisdom literature, the author employs different literary structures and devices in order to communicate. And so there's some of them that's kind of a long allegory, a chapter's a long allegory about Lady Wisdom, and we'll hear from her in a moment. And then chapters 10 through the end of the book is a collection of short, wise, kind of one-liner sayings. And so you get this foundation of Lady Wisdom and then these short, wise sayings. Well, here in chapter 9, it begins by acknowledging that everybody on earth in their life is on a path. Life is a journey that we're taking as we move forward through time and space. And so it begins by letting us know that while we're on this path, we can listen to one of two voices in our life. Here's the first one. Wisdom built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars, which is a way of saying her house is perfected. She slaughtered her animals, mixed her wine, and set her table. She sends out her female servants. She issues an invitation from the top of the city heights. Whoever is naive, turn aside here, she says to those who lack sense. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Abandon your simplistic ways and live. Walk in the way of understanding. Lady Wisdom is the personification of the virtue of wisdom from God. And she moves to and fro upon the earth in the book of Proverbs, and she's calling out on behalf of God, listen to me, and your life will be better for it. So here, Lady Wisdom is the first voice. And I want you to pick apart with me kind of what it's saying about what she's doing and building this kind of house and issuing an invitation. She has built a strong home made with seven pillars, a biblical number indicating perfection and fulfillment. She's an inviting hostess who will provide you with good food and shelter. So if you've been traveling in the dark and you're cold and you're hungry and you need of shelter, if you step into her house, you're going to get more than shelter and a fine meal. You can receive her wisdom and your life will actually be improved. She doesn't invite people. I love this part in verse 4. She doesn't invite people who have it all together. She doesn't ask the question, would I trust this person being in my house or not? Do they look like they would fit within the kind of home environment that I have in mind? No. She invites people who need the help the most. She invites people who are naive, which is another kind of biblical word for ignoramus, as my mother would say. Those who lack common sense. And it reminded me that's almost the exact language that Jesus uses in Luke chapter 5. He recruits Levi, a tax collector, to be one of his disciples, and the religious leaders are incensed at this. Who is this man that fraternizes with sinners, they say? And Jesus turns around and says, well, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not those who were well who need a physician, but those who were sick. It sounds a lot like verses 4 and 5 and 6. If you step into her home, you will receive understanding. It will change the path of your life. Now, I went to great lengths this week to create this beautiful graphic. I, you know, this is my version of the Michelangelo paintings that I usually show in here when I'm teaching in a sermon. 
But you're on a path, and there's Lady Wisdom's house, standing out as a beacon in the night, summoning you to receive her benefits of wisdom and shelter and food. Well, that's the first voice. But the end of chapter 9 in, it concludes with a second invitation. And this isn't Lady Wisdom. Chapter 9 says it's Lady Folly. Now, these are strong words. Lady Folly is noisy. She's stupid and doesn't even know it. She sits at the doorway of her house on a seat at the city heights. She invites those who pass by on the path, those who going straight, those going straight on their way. Whoever is naive, come in here, she says to those who lack sense. Stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is pleasant. But they don't know that the dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of the grave. Compare and contrast the description and invitation of Lady Folly against Lady Wisdom. She is noisy or distracting, not even aware of her own foolishness in verse 13. Unlike Lady Wisdom, who is up and preparing a meal and offering an invitation, anticipating her guests, Lady Folly is seated in her doorway. She calls out to the same people, except notice that she calls on to those who are on the straight path and tries to trip them up. Don't miss the symbolism there. She invites them in, but not for good food and drink that she has prepared, but for what appears to be food and drink that are stolen, perhaps saying, there's an easy shortcut to get the things that you think you need in life, even if you have to steal them. But the great joke, the great tragic joke, will be on these people. Because as soon as they step across this threshold, you read in 18, they're stepping into a path that will lead to the grave. And so here's our image. We're on the path of life, and there's the house of Lady Wisdom and the house of Lady Folly. Well, you may have noticed that that wasn't the whole of chapter 9. There's a section in the middle. And this section in the middle tells us, essentially, what house we're going to end up in based on whether or not we meet the descriptions of the two categories of people. In verse 7 it says, Whoever instructs the cynic gets insulted, but who, and whoever corrects the wicked gets hurt. Don't correct the impudent, or they will hate you. Correct the wise and they will love you. Teach the wise, and they will become wiser. Inform the righteous, and their learning will increase. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And notice what happens here in verse 11. You move from reading a description of two categories of people and a description of how wisdom is attained in verse 10 to God speaking through the proverb as the source of wisdom, God, in a sense, as Lady Wisdom. Through me your days will be many, years added to your life. If you are wise, it is to your benefit. If you are cynical, you will bear it all alone. Notice that in this middle section, there's no mention of Lady Wisdom who came before or Lady Folly who comes afterward. It simply describes two groups of people. Now, according to this, in verses 7 through 8a, a foolish person gets corrected because they've done something wrong. And what do they do? They take it personally and they strike back in anger toward the person who offered them correction. They may be prideful or embarrassed or hurting or angry or frustrated or confused, but 
They can't hear it, and they shut it down. They tell the person to shut up. Their opinion and advice is not wanted or needed, and in fact, they turn around and attack you. One paraphrase of verse 7 says, unless you want to get kicked in the shins, don't speak a word of correction to a foolish person. On the other hand, though, a wise person in 8b and verse 9 is taught, receives correction or instruction, and their eyes light up, and their heart is filled with appreciation. They are grateful for the correction and information that they've just received, and they love the person for it. And not only that, they've not just been given one point of changing direction or making a different decision. This becomes a toolkit that they add, and it increases both their wisdom and their righteousness. Here's what I want to say to you today. You read the beginning of chapter 9 as Lady Wisdom and an invitation in her house. The end of chapter 9 as Lady Folly and an invitation of her house. The middle section of Proverbs tells us the biggest difference in whether we live wisely or foolishly is whether or not we are receptive to constructive feedback from knowledgeable and virtuous people. The implication is clear. If we shut out the voice of others who are trying to assist us, who are wiser, more experienced, have good information, and want to help us be better and live better, if we shut that out, we're walking right across that threshold into the house of Lady Folly. However, if we are wise, it doesn't mean we have all the answers. It means we're receptive to learning more. We're making our way into the house of Lady Wisdom. And this is not just something that shows up in Proverbs 9. I want to show you just, this isn't an exhaustive list, but here are eight quick references throughout the remainder of the book to how powerful that theme is about wisdom and foolishness being determined by whether or not we are receptive to the counsel from others. In 10.17, those who heed instruction are on the way to life, but those who ignore correction lose their way. In other words, they're lost. 12.1, those who love discipline, love knowledge, Those who hate correction are stupid. Who loves discipline? Why would you love to be disciplined? Because you know you're growing through the experience. In 12.15, the way of a fool seems right to him. It always does. But a wise man listens to an external voice who has a different perspective to offer. 13.20, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I used to say it all the time when I was a student ministries director to our students. You show me your top five friends that you spend the most of your time with, and I will predict your future. Because the companionship that you keep will determine the future that you have. In verse 15.12, mockers don't like those who correct them. They won't go to the wise. 17.10, a rebuke goat. This, is, this was deep. A rebuke goes deeper to an understanding person than a hundred lashes to a fool. What does that tell you about the fool? They are on a consistent path of making the same mistakes over and over and over again, and they cannot learn from it. 1920, listen to advice and accept instruction so you might grow wise in the future. And finally, 28.9, those who turn their ears from hearing instruction, even their prayers will be detested. Okay, wait a minute. You mean to tell me those who turn their ears from hearing instruction, God won't honor their prayers? That may seem harsh at first read, but think about it like this. I've known a few people in my extended family and even through my pastoral work who unfortunately took terrible care of themselves physically for decades. 
Their diet was horrendous. They did not exercise. They, everything about them, the different substances in their, they put in their bodies and so on. And they found themselves entangled in a complex web of medical problems. Now, we're not talking about a disease that they had that could not be helped. We're talking about willful disregard for their health. And then when the time came that it seemed like they weren't going to improve and they would say, my doctor just can't help me and I've been praying and I just don't understand why God won't answer my prayer. I don't mean to sound condemning today. I think you would agree with me though. The wisdom of Proverbs would say, those who turn their ears from hearing instruction, even their prayers will be detested. There's a sense in which we all believe that is true. So when I studied these verses in chapter 9, I found four simple qualities of wise people as it relates to whether or not we're receptive to feedback. The first is that wise people don't live in solitude. They don't isolate themselves. Because if you isolate yourself in decision-making, you may fall prey to one of the most destructive circumstances of all, believing what you think. And sometimes what we think is dead wrong. And we need the perspective of somebody else to give information we don't have or perspective that we, long, we significantly need. And if we're in isolation, we won't have it. Secondly, wise people seek the counsel of knowledgeable and virtuous people as opposed to people who are simply an echo chamber. Yes, there are times when I'm frustrated at a situation and I just need somebody to listen and affirm that how I'm feeling is legitimate, of course. But that's not seeking wisdom. That's looking for a sounding board. And a person who truly seeks wisdom seeks it not from people who are as foolish as they are, but rather from people who are knowledgeable and virtuous. Number three, wise people receive corrective and constructive feedback. In other words... Wise person, whenever they've done something wrong and somebody else comes in and says, hey, you did that wrong, or stop doing that, or don't make that mistake again, or you need to change this or that, their first question is not, do I like the way that sounds to me? A wise person's first question is, is there any truth to what I'm being told? A few weeks ago, our son Henry, he plays the tuba in uh, various bands at school, decided to participate in Tuba Christmas. Tuba Christmas is an event every year. It's kind of nationwide in different cities where all the tuba players in that city come together to play a concert that's about four, uh, 45 minutes or an hour. <clears throat> it's all Christmas music, and it's all about 40 or 50 tubas. Anybody ever been to Tuba Christmas? Shame on y'all. His mother is the only one that raised her hand. Oh, okay. Mr. Fitzpatrick was there. Of course he was. It was hiding behind the column. I couldn't see it. So we went down to the Alabama Theater and enjoyed the Tuba Christmas concert. Well, right before the concert, Henry had reached out to his mentor in tuba playing, Mr. Scott Robertson, who's a friend of our family, a previous colleague of mine at another church, and one of the best tuba players uh, in the state of Alabama and probably the southeast, and a wonderfully generous person uh, that we, we care deeply about. And he was inviting Henry to play at Tuba Christmas with him and said, why don't you come over to my house Ahead of time, we'll go through the music and have a little bit of a teaching session. And so we dropped Henry off, and they, they met for about an hour. And after we picked Henry up, um, I asked him, I said, hey, how'd it go? He's like, it was okay. I was like, how was Mr. Scott? And he's like, it's 
kind of mean. I said, what do you mean he's kind of mean? That doesn't sound like him at all. And he said, well, I got there. He said, why don't you start with some scales? And so I played through the scales, and he said, okay. Um, your playing right now is a little bit above average, and I can tell that you've not been practicing enough. So if you want to become a better tuba player, you're really going to have to devote yourself to more disciplined practice. And I said, and that was mean to you? And he said, yeah. I said, so what you mean is that you didn't want him to tell you the truth. He said, exactly. Of course I didn't want him to tell me the truth. He's like, now I've got to go home and practice for the, and all throughout the Christmas break upstairs. Now, I asked his permission to share that story. He was, of course, in telling it in a way that was even humorous at the time. Because Henry knows you can't get away with that kind of thinking in the Carden household because his mother is Cameron Carden. And one of her great parenting mantras has always been whenever she has to get, you know, give instruction to her kids, do you want me to be nice to you and tell you what you want to hear? Or would you like me to tell you the truth? I will do either one. Why don't you pick? And you can tell which one they've learned to select over the years. When wise people receive corrupt, corrective and instructive feedback, their first question is not, well, that makes me, you know, how does that make me feel? But rather, you know what, I wonder if there's any truth in that. And if there is, I want to pay attention to it and change the decisions I'm making. And that can be a little bit painful, but it yields wisdom. Finally, wise people receive corrective and instructive feedback. They store it away. In other words, they grow from it. You heard it in Proverbs chapter 9. They give wisdom and they become wiser. It's not just a one-time, oh, okay, I'll do that different this time. They learn from it and are now equipped to be able to apply, apply that and employ it at future times together. It's no surprise to me that the great C.S. Lewis, whose friendships were legendary at the Eagle and Child Pub at Oxford University with J.R. Tolkien and others, once said, the next best thing to being wise oneself is living in a circle of those who are. Now notice he doesn't say keeping the company of those who are. I think that brilliant man chose that phrase very intentionally. The next best thing to being wise is living inside a circle because guess what? I can't see in a full field of vision. And I need people back here who can see things that I can't and are willing to give me wisdom that I would never have on my own. So if I can talk for a second to everybody in the room who's under, say, the age of, say, 30. Um, I've shared stories about how hard-headed I was in middle school and high school and had to learn a lot of uh, lessons the hard way and go to the school of hard knocks. But in later high school, second half of high school, I really did start listening to the first male mentor in my life, Bert Diener. I shared a story about him last week. And part of what I took away from that great fruitful friendship was that, man, it's been so beneficial to actually realize this guy knows what he's talking about for these last two years of high school. Maybe when I go to college, I should find somebody like him who's a little older, a little wiser, who's a Christian brother, who shares my values, who can guide me. And I established a practice, and I'll tell you, the most wise thing that I have done now 42 years old, and I still have these people in my life. The wisest thing I have done is to make sure that in every phase of life, college, right out of college, first job, early marriage, early parenting, early career, is to seek people. And I made a list this week. These are just some of them, not all. Burt Diener, Earl Parker, Aubrey Griffiths, Jim Knight, Dan Greathouse, Sam Huffstutler, Dick Gardner, Jim Broom. 
And I would include Pastor John among that list as well. That includes people from Nashville and Gainesville, Florida and Georgia and various places here in Alabama. Can I ask you something? Who do you have in your life that you can seek the counsel for relationship advice, career advice, parenting advice, marriage advice, leadership and growth advice, health advice? Do you have people that you can turn to for those questions to get their counsel and be receptive to their feedback and trust that listening to that and going through that process might lead you to a better place than you were before. Can I tell you something, friends? One of the primary ways God will speak into our lives is through the counsel of wise Christian friends who have our best interests at in their heart. Do you know how much anxiety and wrestling we do with what is the will of God for my life? Well, maybe one of the answers to figuring that out is there. It's not just some idea that's floating out in the ethereal outer space that we have to hope to latch on to. It can come through the forms of feedback from people who are knowledgeable and experienced and have our best interests at heart. And let me tell you something. If you're not open to that kind of feedback, you are going to hate the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the Holy Spirit does not come just with words of comfort, although the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes with words of conviction and correction to set us on the right path. In fact, in the Passover meal with His disciples in John 16, He says to them these words about the Holy Spirit who's going to come. When the Spirit comes, He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I fit within that group of the world, and you do too. I want to encourage you, friends, if you have found yourself either standing before a decision that you've never made before, and you're hoping you could find somebody who could help give some perspective, or you have found yourself in a pattern of the same mistake over and over and over, and you realize, my goodness, Nothing's changing because I'm making the same mistakes and the same pattern of behavior. You can seek people who have knowledge, who have, whose lives are well-ordered in the area of advice you were seeking, and who have demonstrated care for your best interest, and they live with virtue, and they will be a blessing to you, clearly according to the wisdom of Proverbs. In fact, I cannot think of a better place on earth after God called the children of Israel as His people and now calls the children of His church, think about the thousands of years of combined wisdom and experience that is available to you in the 480 members in this congregation. There is not a field of, of life or an area of life where you could not find somebody who has been there a little bit before and can encourage and help and provide their own experiences and feedback about your decision making to you. So I've thought this week about some of those mentors that I've had and the many times when I would come to them with a question and ask for their feedback and consider it. One of them was 11 years ago. In the first week of December in 2012, uh, or 2011, our daughter Amelia was baptized. She was five weeks old. 
and we brought her in front of the congregation at Pell City First Methodist where I was the associate pastor and I preached in the contemporary worship service and Pastor Sam Huffstutler, the lead pastor, preached in the um, traditional worship service and we made promises on behalf of Amelia as her parents and the church made promises and we received the promise of God through the symbol of the water. It was a great celebration for our family. And Henry was about three and a half years old, and now Amelia's five weeks old. And we'd moved to Alabama just a year and a half before, and we really liked that little church and the new friendships we were making as transplants to Alabama, and everything was going really well. And the next week, as I was sitting at my office, my phone rang. And a pastor of a large church here in Birmingham introduced himself and said, we met a few months ago at um, a meeting in the denomination, and... Um, I wanted you to know that I have an opening this summer for a preaching associate, and our church is about four or five times larger than the church that you're at. We think it'd be, I believe it'd be a really good experience for you to see how things operate in a larger organization and really grow. So I'd be interested in you taking this new position this summer. Why don't you talk about it with your wife? We'll keep it confidential, you know, until you kind of reach a decision. And then reach out and we'll come and host you and give you the tour and we'll talk about the job specifically. And so I thanked him and hung up the phone and I was kind of felt like in a weird position because at that time in the United Methodist Church, you were appointed to churches by the bishop. You were not recruited by fellow pastors and hired away. And so I knew that this was a little bit outside of the norm. I also knew that pastors of big churches oftentimes get to kind of scout the minor leagues and draw up people that they're looking for. And so I walked across the street immediately to my wife who was on maternity leave and I shared what had happened and she said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, we're happy here. We love it here and we're settled here and I don't think the church is expecting a change this summer. I'm not sure it's fair to them. I just, I'm new here. I just, I don't know the right thing to do and I don't really know that many people I could turn to and ask, but I know this. I know that the pastor told me I shouldn't speak to anybody about it, but I've got to talk to Sam. He deserves to know as a leader of this church, but also, I wonder if he'd be willing to just give me feedback. She said, you should absolutely talk to him. So I walked back across the street and walked into his office, and I explained the phone call that I'd gotten. And let me tell you what Sam's first response was. He listened carefully and then said, I can't believe that somebody would do something that low that that pastor would call you and talk to you. That's not the way it works, and I can't believe it. I am furious. That's going to put us in a bind here as a church to find. He said, well, Nathan, I think this this is something you should seriously consider and pray about because these opportunities don't come along every day. And I had an opportunity at a similarly sized church years ago to be the preaching associate for seven years, and it was enormously beneficial to my growth as a pastor. So I think you and Cameron ought to really seriously consider it. I said, okay. But what about you guys? I mean, you're going to have to find an associate pastor. I mean, what will the church do? And he said, well, that's not what you first asked me, is it? Yeah, we would have liked to have started this a couple of months ago or three months ago, but We'll be all right, but you were asking me about what's, whether or not you should consider it, and I, I do think you should consider it. I don't want to lose you, but I do think you should consider it. That's just an example of somebody who can listen in a situation and not get immediately defensive, 
not take it as some kind of personal affront, but because he had our interests in his heart, he was able to give objective, sound counsel. And I ended up taking his advice and ultimately in the providential ways of God led me to this place for which I am always grateful. Proverbs 9, 10 through 12 says, The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Through me, God says, your days will be many, years will be added to your life. If you are wise, it is to your benefit. If you are cynical, you will bear it alone. And friends, if we are going to have that benefit of wisdom in verse 12, it's going to be by seeking other Christians who can help guide us and provide wisdom along the way. God, thank you for the gift of community. We know that because the church is filled with human beings and all of us have clay feet, that it's not perfect. But we do believe that by the guidance of your Holy Spirit, we can find your voice and the wisdom of Proverbs for that 80% of life situations which don't have a clear instruction morally. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would make us a wise people in 2024. I pray for the one who will face a scenario this year that they were not anticipating and they've never faced before. Lead them to seek counsel from wise people. Lord, I pray for the one who is in a pattern of making the same mistake over and over again. Liberate them from that pattern of destructive behavior by enabling them to find the courage to seek counsel from others. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ. 